Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Today, I am joined by international speaker, confidence coach, and founder of Competent and Killing It, Tiwa Lola Ogunlesi. Tiwa moved from Nigeria to the UK aged 15 and began to struggle with low self-esteem issues throughout her teenage years. After graduating from university, she felt immense pressure to live up to the expectations she set for herself, get a job, and become a quote-unquote adult. She finally accepted a job at an engineering firm in Oxford, despite having no real interest in the company or the job. And so as a year or more went by, Tiwa found herself slowly suffocating in the boredom and monotony of living a life she felt incredibly uninspired by. It was around this time that Tiwa decided to start volunteering at a local church and become a youth leader, where she met various girls aged 15 to 17 and realized from speaking to them on a regular basis that there was a major confidence crisis in yet another generation of girls growing up in the world thinking they weren't good enough. Tiwa started making videos on Instagram about the subject matter, and two years later, she was working full-time on her own business, Confident and Killing It, the self-love revolution to wake women up to their worth and dare to live the life they truly desire. Since then, Tiwa has equipped over 3,000 women in London, Lagos, New York, and Johannesburg at the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls with the tools and knowledge they need to be confident. She has been interviewed by the likes of Jamila Jamil, spoken at UN Women's Conference, recently signed a book deal with HarperCollins and worked her ass off to ensure the next generation of women we raise are ready to look themselves in the eye and say those three words, which we all seemingly struggle with so much. I love myself. Tiwa, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to 20 Not Something. Thank you, Emma. I'm so glad to be here. And that was such an amazing introduction, like definitely the best intro I've had (laughs) on a podcast. So thank you. (laughs) You're so welcome. And thank you for being here. Honestly, I've wanted to have you on for a while. I think I actually arranged this in like November, but you've been so busy. So here we are in February, (laughs) but I'm here for it. Love it. Um, I wanted to kick things off by asking you the same question I ask everyone. And that is when you were sort of 18, 19 and looking in to your 20s can you remember what the one thing you wanted the most was mm, when I was 18 or 19 um no I to be honest when I was 18 I was so just obsessed with like at that moment what I was going mm. through as a teenager that I wasn't really thinking about my future and who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up. Um, I remember being quite like insecure at the time in terms of my body. So as when I was 18, my whole life was just like, can I get through today without like judging myself so much? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I, when I had to show up at places, like what are people going to think of me when I'm there? So like my mind was really pretty much cluttered with like, the most insignificant stuff that, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about my future. Like I was going to university. I knew I wanted to do that. Um, to be fair, to give myself a little bit of credit and my A-levels like Lever yearbook, it was like most likely to, um, you know, when everyone says like what well, they're most likely to become mm. in a couple of years. And mine was most 
likely to run my own international business. So I did have, yeah, which I'm technically doing right now, which is crazy, but um, I did have ambitions, but Mm. a lot of it, I didn't have like an intentional plan to become Mm. like an international businesswoman. I was very much just like in the moment dealing with my insecurities. Interesting. That is actually something I wanted to pick up on because I remember in your interview with Jamila Jamil, you said that you actually did believe in yourself as a person and you had quite a good like self-belief system, but it was actually when it came to your body, which is where you really struggled. And I know that you've obviously helped so many women on their confidence journey, but I'm curious as to like ask you a little bit more about about that experience with your body because I think so many young girls go through that and, and where that sort of started and how you got through it. Um, it started from when, so I have a younger sister who's only like 11 months younger than me. So we're actually the same age at a certain, um, time of the year. Uh, cause my mom and dad were just like, right. One after the other, I didn't even wait up to a year. <laughs> um, so growing up, like ha- having a sister who's like pr- basically your age as we began to grow I started to notice like she was getting a lot taller than me and I wasn't getting taller and you know she was still kind of like stick thin and growing taller and I was you know developing getting a bit of a body I was exercise well I was really sporty so you know my legs were kind of like getting muscly and things like that And I noticed that my sister could eat whatever she wanted and her tummy would be flat like the whole time. You know, those people with those like washboard stomachs that just always are flat no matter what they do. And then I was looking at my tummy and I was seeing rolls and I was like, I'm the one working out and eating salads and, you know, being intentional with my food. And you're just eating like Burger King all day and you have a flat tummy like that is not fair. (laughs) Not fair. Yeah, so that got me really angry because I was I in my little teenage mind I was like this is not fair. I deserve this. Why does she get to have that? And so it started to build like resentment and comparison was just eating away at me over and over. And um yeah, it wasn't until I really looked at what is bigger than my body. I respected myself to like follow through on my priorities and my goals and my responsibilities, but I didn't look at myself and feel love for myself. Mm, it's so sad, isn't it? And the, the the sad thing is, is that like, we know, I know so many girls, myself included, who go through that. And I guess we all think about ourselves a lot more than anyone else thinks about us and that plays yes. such a part doesn't it because you know I could go to the gym one day and think that my hair looks awful and think oh I don't even want to go because I, I've or I've got a massive spot on my face I don't want to go to the gym because everyone's going to yeah. think I'm so like ugly and it's like Emma no one's yeah. looking at you that much do you think that you were afraid was it that you looked at yourself and you didn't like it or, or did other people's opinions play into that as well do you think Um, I think it was both. I looked at myself and I didn't really like what I saw because when I looked in the media, when I looked around me, you know, the women that were called beautiful and were promoted and, you know, um, 
like blasted all over the media didn't necessarily have the same body as me and then when I went to an all girls boarding school right that was just a breeding ground for insecurities in the sense of you know um you're always talking about a part of your body you don't like and I had never really when I lived in Nigeria how I felt about my body was mostly internalized it was just like me in my head in my thoughts no one ever said anything out loud to me about my body um and neither did my friends like we were 13 14 we weren't thinking about that but that, I think that's like Nigerian culture but then when I came to England um it's very much British culture to talk about to almost have like a competition over who has it worse mm. I don't know why that is a thing but if you're ever sitting with a group of women it will sound like the Olympics for the worst of whatever they're talking about right it's like oh oh you have a really nice bump oh my gosh no but have you seen my thighs have you seen my stretch marks or like oh I really love um your shoulders you've got amazing posture oh my gosh yeah but like have you seen my toes my toes are terrible (laughs) and it's just like you know it's just like we never just say thank you we always have to like hit back with something that shows we're really not that good and there's a difference between being humble and self-deprecating language which we can talk on um you know a little bit later so going to boarding school and just always hearing girls complain about their bodies and they would complain about bodies that I was aspiring to so Mm -hmm. I would also go I would always say oh my gosh if they hate their body what must they think of mine Mm. right because that I would look at my dream body on somebody else and that person would be complaining who's way skinnier than me. And I'm going, wow, if she's complaining about her body, what must she think of me? And so I started to like, you know, oh my gosh, people think I'm this or I'm that, or I look like this, or I'm not pretty and da, 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 da. So um, yeah, it was definitely like a mix of like not liking what I saw, but then also then being in an environment where what I thought was good people still complained about. So it's like, no one was happy, you know? (laughs) For sure. It's so complex. I'm so glad you raised that about the um, saying thank you because, so I've been on a, trying to be on a bit of a confidence journey. I don't know about that word, but the last sort of, (laughs) the last sort of year and a half. And um, I read somewhere that, you know, instead of when someone pays you a compliment saying, oh, I got it in a sale or, oh, I'm having a good day or whatever, just say thank you or better Mm. yet say, say thank you and then say, I know. So, you know, someone says, Emma, your hair looks great today. It's like, thanks. I know. So I started trying to do this right. And I was like, oh, I, I do feel quite good until I had one experience, which I will probably never forget now, but I was at work and I was with a colleague and he said to me, oh, Emma, you know, you're like, you're really good at your job. And I was like, okay, here's an opportunity. So I said, I said, thank you. I know. And he said, oh, all right, Billy Big Bollocks, like calm down. And I was oh. like, oh my god oh my god this is it like this is the reason that I haven't been confident because I'm so afraid of being accused of being arrogant or self-centered and it occurred to me then that it's not just about how we talk about confidence it's about how we treat people who are actually brave enough to be confident yes yes 
and the audacity of that man to be like, oh, you're really good at your job, you know, like, duh, yes, I know. Thank you. Like, I'm going to go on and say like, okay, calm down. It's like, and and I I totally understand like that sort of experience can really knock a lot of people's confidence because then they're going, oh my gosh, am I now going to be seen as arrogant or bragging? But it's a fact you are good at your job. It's a fact. Mm. It's like one plus one equals two. There's nothing to debate about that. You are good at your job. So whether you own it or you don't own it, the fact still remains that you are good at your job. So you might as well own it because why not? Do you want to go through life thinking you're terrible at your job when the facts are you are good? Like, yeah. yeah. I just find it interesting because that is one thing that I've been so scared about when it comes to confidence. It's coming across as being, like you just said, you know, arrogant. And yeah, what what does confidence look like to you now? Mm. So let me just talk about quickly the difference between confidence and arrogance. So mm. when you're arrogant, you have a scarcity mentality. You want to push others down so you can look good. When you're arrogant, it's like there's a competition and there can only be one winner. And I want to be the winner. So I'm going to make myself look good and make you feel small so that I look good better than you in your eyes. So arrogance is about making it, making yourself look better than other people. Confident people don't care about that. I don't think I'm better than anyone. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm amazing. I'm amazing, but I don't think I'm better than anybody, right? Mm -hmm. So I use my amazingness and my energy and my gifts and my passions to lift other people up. I use it to show them that there is enough room at the top for all of us to be successful and for all of us to be amazing. So um, it's very much collaboration over competition. And so confidence for me, I always say I want my confidence to be an oasis of hope so that when people see it, they're like, wow, if Tiwa can do it, I can do it too. And I think that is really the energy of confidence. When you have it, you want to use it to impact the world in a positive way. You want to be a light. You want to lift other people up, not make yourself look better than other people and make other people feel small and insecure. I love that. Thank you for differentiating that. That That's so interesting. I've literally never thought about it like that. Um, that's really that's really interesting tell me about um so obviously you were in a job that you hated and you're sort of hitting your mid-20s talk to me about the the going to the church and being a youth leader and meeting those girls Mm -hmm. and what sort of switched Mm -hmm. for you yeah so when I was like stuck at this job that I just felt like there was no purpose in it whatsoever I said to myself like I'm not going to be one of those people that is like in Hollywood movies where they hate life, they hate their jobs and they're just stuck there every day. I was like, hell no. Like I'm not going to, that's not going to be my life. So I was like, there has to be more purpose to my life than this. And so I decided to volunteer as a youth leader in my local church and every Friday night for a year, unfailingly, I will go, I would go and hang out with teenage girls around age 15 to 17. And we would just talk about life, about faith, what are some of their challenges. And one day um, I asked them to write down on a piece of paper, what's the one thing they feel like uh, they really need support with right now. They didn't see any 
of each other's answers. It was all very personal. Everybody had their own piece of paper and they wrote it down. So <clears throat> they all fold it, give it in to me. I get home like super excited to see what they've said. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm going to use this to like, use it to like help them get through whatever challenges they're experiencing. And I open the first one and it's like, I wish I loved myself more. And I was like, okay, that's sad, but it's just one girl. It'll be fine. Open the next piece of paper. I wish I was more confident. Third piece of paper. I wish I loved myself more. Fourth piece of paper. I want to learn to unleash my inner Beyonce. Fifth piece of paper. I want to love myself more. Every single one of them in one way or the other said something about wanting to love themselves more and be more confident. And I just burst into tears because I remembered when I was 15, I was their age and I didn't love myself and I didn't feel confident in who I was. And I was like, how are we here almost 10 years later? And the same issues that I had as a teenager are the same issues that I'm seeing in these young girls. I remember um, when I was young, I would see my mom in the mirror, kind of just like holding her thighs. You know, that thing we do where it's like almost pretend like we can slice half of it off or like we can suck it back a bit and (laughs) see what it would look like if we had like liposuction, right? I saw my mom doing that. Mm. And so what did I do when my thighs looked like my mom's thighs? I did the exact same thing in the mirror. So we have to be so careful about the messages that we send, you know, the, the young women around us. And I was just just like, this is crazy. The same thing is going from generation to generation. It's almost like a rite of passage as a girl that you will be insecure and not love yourself. Mm. And I was like, this is not okay because I started my personal growth journey when I was 21. So at this point I had been doing it for about three years and I had already began to unlock so much freedom and love for myself and confidence. And so I was like, something has to change. It's, n- it's not like this is the norm, but it needs to be the exception. The norm needs to be self-love. That, that's what the norm needs to be. So then and there, I literally made it my mission that I want self-love to be the norm rather than the exception. And I was going to do everything that I could, create media, build community to make sure that we can actually see positive change in the world. Mm, and I love it. And it's such a good message. And one which actually, I think in the last couple of years has almost become a little bit of a buzzword in terms of it's, you know, overly used now in terms of self-love and self-love, but the message still stands that like, that is so important. It's intrinsic to our, to our happiness. Yeah. Like if you don't yeah. love yourself, you A, can't expect anyone else to love you or B, really love anyone else because exactly. you don't feel like you're deserving. Yeah. hundred percent. Exactly. Um, Uh, And people are like, oh, can you have too much self-love? And I'm like, no, you can't because Mm. we live in a world where we are constantly reminded, like the example you gave about your colleague at work, we are constantly reminded about why we're not good enough, how we don't have it all, how we need to be this to be good enough and need to buy that to be good enough. We're surrounded by so much messaging that tells us our voices don't matter, that shows us there's no value for women's life in the world and women's safety, right? So we have so much noise telling us we're not good enough and so little noise telling us that we are worthy and we should love ourselves. So I think if you want to do something good in the world, we need to get loud because there is so much noise that is dimming our self-love and our confidence. 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I know that you've spoken quite a lot in the past about the confidence gap between men and women. And I mean, it's no secret that like that that is so prevalent. I mean, I was looking at an article the other day by Forbes and um, they did this study in America and found that men overestimate their abilities and performance while women often underestimate yeah. both of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, we've known this for years. And so... Mm-hmm. My question is, like, how do we begin to even address something like that, which has been so intrinsic in our culture? Is it about feminism? Like, is it about like, how do we how do we grow? How do we start to level that playing field out? Mm. Um, I think, yeah, that's a really good question. First of all, I want to say that confidence isn't just a women's issue because that's another way, you know, once society starts to push that narrative, oh, women, women don't have confidence. Women don't have confidence. Then that also becomes the main narrative. I'm a woman. I don't have confidence. Right. But confidence is an issue that everyone faces, both men and women. The issue is that when something happens, something bad happens, or there's fear, or there's doubt, women internalize that as something being wrong with them. So let's say you get a rejection. Most women will go, that must mean I am not good enough. Mm. Men will tend to go, oh, the opportunity wasn't right. Or, oh, maybe the timing wasn't right. They don't have budget to afford me. Right. So if you always internalize things that happen to you, things people say to you as something being wrong with you, you will literally carry so much weight on your shoulders that it paralyzes you from doing the things you really want to do in life. Mm -hmm. So both men and women feel fear. Both men and women have self-doubt. It's about men feel the fear, tend to feel the fear. Now we're really generalizing here, but most men will tend to feel the fear and take action anyways, because they're more open to risks. Mm. Whereas women get canceled way easier. Um, You know, they get like crucified for saying one thing or the other. Um, If they don't live according to society's standards, they get judged right? So there's the consequences. That's what I'm trying to say. The consequences for not obeying the status quo as a woman are so much higher than the consequences for not obeying the status quo as a man. And often men who don't obey the status quo are praised, whereas women who obey the status quo are are criticized. Mm -hmm. So there's so many structural elements to why women will tend to have less confidence than men. And it's, it's, it's a mess to be very mm-hmm. honest. <laughs> I don't really know where the first point of call to start fixing it is, but what I would say is, you know, yes, we grew up in a society that doesn't respect us or doesn't really want to see us thrive. And so the biggest like F you, the biggest rebellion is to show up as your true authentic self is to spend the time doing the work and unlocking your power and connecting with your strengths so that when you do show up, you are being unapologetic and you are doing your best to not let the fear and self-doubt get in the way. Now is the responsibility all on women to make it more of an equal playing field? Absolutely not. It's everyone's responsibility. Um, Our society, the government, everyone, even men as well. But we can't necessarily control all of those things. Mm. 
what we can control in the immediate moment now is prioritizing our personal growth. So yeah, I always kind of tend to focus on what I have in my hands at the moment that I can work with. And at the same time, how are we as a society moving forward to make sure it's more of an equal playing field? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I do think like, I think it's so much easier for me as a woman to notice the insecurities in my other female friends because we do talk about them. And I Mm -hmm. think that what I've noticed, like I've got so many male friends and I treasure them so much. I, I like, they're like my brothers. And I realized the other day, I'm like, I'm so unaware of when they're struggling and I'm so unaware if they feel like they're not good enough because we don't talk about that stuff. And I really just, I guess that's part of the movement as well, isn't it? It's like opening the conversation to be like, it's okay if if you are one of those people who doesn't seize or internalizes things as well, like internalized rejection, like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Like creating vulnerability, you know, and people having open and honest conversations and, and putting more value on, authenticity than perfectionism are definitely things you know that need to happen for sure um moving on from from confidence I wanted to pick up on something in your note um you said that sort of in your mid-20s you experienced your first friendship breakup and I'm so pleased that you raised that because I think it's such a common occurrence in this decade for us to you know lose friendships we meet so many people it's such a long time like obviously things fizzle out I personally am so, so, so bad at friendship breakups. Like I can't Mm. deal with them, even if like my boundaries crossed and I know that something's not healthy for me anymore. Like I stick on, I cling onto it because I'm like, I just, I need it. Um, Mm. I wondered if it'd be okay with you to talk a little bit about that and how you navigated it. Obviously don't have to go into detail if you don't want to, but that sort of whole premise of friendship breakups. Yeah. uh, Friendship breakups. I totally get you. They're super painful because it's, it's almost worse than a romantic relationship because you've known the person maybe for so long, like literally your whole life, but you've got to realize that people grow and they change and not everyone is going to come on your journey with you. Like there's actually friends for specific seasons in your life. And it's okay once that season has come and gone that that friend also comes and goes to now whether you're willing to accept that or not, that's a different story. But the truth is there are people who come into your life for a specific reason for a season and then, and then they leave. So I think in the beginning when I thought, Oh, my friend that's been my friend for the, my whole life, how can we just stop being friends? Like all the memories, all the this, all the that. But it's also similar to dating in terms of don't date people's potential date their reality and I think in friendships as well it's the same thing don't romanticize the memories that you miss all the red flags or all the things in the present moment that really might not be working for you so I think yeah when it comes to friendship breakups it's just the kind of thing where it's inevitable I think Something like that will always hurt, regardless of how old you are and how far along you are in your confidence journey. 
So breakups, rejection, failure, things like that will always, always hurt because they literally speak to our deepest human desires, which is to um, know that we are loved, to be seen, to be heard, and to know that we matter, right? So a breakup of friendship goes against some of the things we really value, especially when that friendship means so much to you. And it can be really traumatizing, but the three steps, like how you get through it is, first of all, you've got to acknowledge that you're feeling shit about the situation. You've got to acknowledge that you're heartbroken and you're upset because you cannot deal with what you do not first acknowledge. You cannot overcome a situation if you're still in denial about it. So first thing I had to do was acknowledge my feelings. Next thing I did was articulate my feelings. So I did a lot of journaling. I really let it out. Like, you know, send them a mess. Don't send them the message, but write the message as if you're going to send it to them, but then never send it. Um, Just for that release inside of you. um, I spoke to a coach about it. So yeah, you've got to learn how to articulate what is going on, what emotions are present for you. What is the story you are telling yourself about that breakup? And are you making an assumption or is that story the real life situation that the other person also agrees with? (laughs) Because that's a whole other thing. Um, And then the last one is like, give yourself permission to move on, you know, give yourself permission to actually let go. One of the reasons why I found it so hard to let go of that friendship breakup, because it was like, I'm naturally a loving person. Mm -hmm. So when I'm inviting my girls to my house, I'm like, I don't want her to feel left out that I didn't invite her. Or like, you know, if I'm going out to dinner with some friends, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want her to feel left out. I don't want to feel bad. And so I was like, oh, should I invite her? Should I not? But then she never came anyways. So it's like, allow yourself to disappoint the person, right? Allow yourself to move on from that situation because it isn't what it used to be. Mm. I can relate literally so much to what you're saying. And I also think that sometimes with friendship breakups, I don't know if you had this as well, but like when you break up in a relationship, both partners are often kind of on the same page. Like you both know you've broken up, right? There is a breakup session, however long or short lived it is. You both know it's done. Friendships, they're just like, nobody sits down with you and it's like, okay, Emma, like I've had enough. Like, I'm just going to stop talking to you for a bit. It's like, it just sizzles. It's a slow burner that just sizzles and sizzles and sizzles. And then one day you're like, oh my gosh, this person is actually not in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And it can be really, really sad. But I feel like if you can, if you notice a change in your friendships, and this is something my friends and I really leaned into um, during the pandemic. If you notice a shift in your friendship, call it out. You know, it's not always going to be the most comfortable conversation, but if you feel like maybe you're giving more effort than the other friend, or if you feel like a friend isn't really acting the same way that they used to act with you, call it out and just have the conversation and see, see where it goes. Nothing to lose, but so much to gain. Yes. Such a good point. Cause I've done this quite recently and like it, 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 I mean, sometimes it doesn't fix everything for me. It did. And it was amazing. And I was like, I'm so happy that just by voicing it and talking about it Mm -hmm. you're able to just like remember you know why you are so close and and why it matters so much to both of you and it's all about communication yeah I totally hear you um 
before we move on to play Millennial Minesweeper, I just wanted to touch on obviously confident in killing it is a huge success you've you know you've done so much it's grown 156 percent in the last year congratulations honestly amazing mm-hmm. um i think we talk about hustle culture quite a lot on this podcast especially in the 20s it's very much like you need to be cracking on and you know get your head down and prepare for your mm. life basically mm-hmm. um i'm curious to ask you as an entrepreneur whether you have experienced hustle culture but the negative impact of that and do you feel the pressure still sort of daily or have you Um, become at peace with it now yeah no I I it's a constant battle if I'm being very honest uh 2020 was one of the hardest years of my life because that was the year I quit my job so that was my first time as an entrepreneur and everything is getting cancelled all my jobs all my business the whole world is turned upside down. So it was a mixture of the best and the worst time to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, Worst time in terms of my mental health and my physical and emotional health in general. I was numb for so many days in terms of just like being numb to emotion and feeling. Um, I got through like got severe burnout because it was like 2 a.m. working till 2 a.m. like, 14 hour days, like crazy, crazy scenes because I was literally just trying to stay afloat Mm -hmm. and I had no team and I was doing it all by myself. I was running webinars like every two weeks. I was trying to get speaking gigs. I was coaching about 50 women at the time, like one-to-one coaching, five sessions for each person. So it was like, it was so, it was so intense. And I would say that was when I was really in the thick of it. And that burnout that I've experienced, I've never experienced that sort of burnout before. Like my soul literally left my body and I promised myself that I would never get to that again. And, um, I think I've really learned how to achieve my goals without sacrificing my physical and mental health to get there. So I have other people now who run sessions on my behalf. I launched my online academy. So I have uh, coaching courses and um, community support all in one place. So it's like a new membership platform. So I have that now. And so, um, yeah, this year it's really kind of been like, work hard but also like enjoy your life Mm -hmm. and I think when you are in alignment with your purpose I have this thing called your power circle where your strengths and your passions align and with confident and killing it it is at the intersection of all my top strengths and all my top passions so living in alignment in your power circle allows you to be in the flow so you're, when you're operating, you're operating from a place of strength and energy and motivation, which is amazing. And so you really just have to learn to like prioritize your well-being into that. Mm-hmm. So a technique I really want to share with everyone is um, writing down like your t- top three to five values, like the things that really matter the most to you. So mine are like impact. Let's say my top three impact. Um creativity and wellness. Okay. So in my week, I prioritize my to-do list under those three pillars, because what happens is we always leave self-care to the end, 
right? And then we have no energy or time to do the self-care. It always gets pushed to the end. And then you wake up one day and you feel unfulfilled, even though your business might be thriving or you're, you're thriving in your career, but a part of you is missing because there's a value you haven't prioritized. And that's technically what happened to me. My business was growing like never before. Um, I was getting all these opportunities, but part of me felt like something was missing. And that's because I really, really value wellness and self-care. And I wasn't doing any of that. Mm -hmm. So now my to-do list is categorized in these three buckets. So um, going to a Pilates session is just as much as a priority as preparing to run a workshop or Mm -hmm. recording a podcast episode. Um, Doing something creative has just as much priority as doing something like sorting out my finances. So that way I'm making sure that it's like work-life integration rather Mm -hmm. than balance. It's like I'm integrating all the different aspects of my life that really matter to me and making sure I'm living that out rather than doing a little bit of work, a little bit of play, a little bit of work and trying to balance the two things. It's like everything is just like intertwined in like a braid together. I love that. Interwoven. Yeah. I'm going to try doing that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I could think of three values off the top of my head I'll have time to think about it but yeah I write I that think, yeah think about you know what really matters to you what gets you excited what what change do you want to see in the world um who inspires you and why they inspire you thinking about who inspires you and why will give you an idea of what you value to her so we're going to move on to play millennial mind sweeper now which is a little quotes game at the end i basically read out three quotes of things that i've seen or read or heard and um we just have a chat about whether we agree with them or not so our first one are you a harry potter fan by any chance i've seen it at all i've seen i've seen the films yeah 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 yeah. so i had covid over christmas and obviously what else is there to do except like watch all of harry potter (laughs) and in the prisoner of azkaban this quote was um what you fear the most is fear itself and it Mm. stuck with me and i wondered what you thought about that (laughs) what you fear the most is fear itself I I need to unpack that a little. I'm not Let's sure. Let's do it. Neither do yeah. I. Yeah. What you fear the most is fear itself. I think it has resonance mm-hmm. because we I are we do live life in fear. I mean, I say we as a generalization. I Lutheran. basically yeah, I do feel fearful most days, even if it's just like, oh, I'm scared I'm gonna come across as this or fuck this up or whatever. Um yeah. yeah. But do I fear fearing that I don't think I do fear fear because otherwise I wouldn't fear so much does that (laughs) (laughs) no I so I think from what I'm getting it's like we fear the illusion of fear but then when we actually get into it and start doing the work we realize it's not actually scary so it's like we are afraid of the idea Right. But we're not when when we get the opportunity and we throw ourselves in there, we actually end up swimming rather than sinking. Mm. And I always say fear is just a negative thought of something in the future that has not happened yet. So if you think, what if I fail? You can also think, what if I succeed? Totally. If you think, what if I get rejected? You you can think, what if I get the position? Right. So um, I think people are afraid of the idea 
of the fear of what they don't want happening, happening, but they've not actually stopped to realize that they have two choices. There's a positive outcome and there's a negative outcome from every action that you take. So don't only focus on all the things you don't want to happen. Also focus on the things you do want to happen. Mm, I love that. Far better analogy than what mine was. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for showing me up. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So our second one is, oh, this is good. So I was out the other night um, and I was classic in the girls' bathroom. Um, And I was listening to a conversation with two girls on the other side. And one of them said, there's a difference between telling yourself you're having a great time and actually believing that you're having a great time. I think one of them like didn't want to be there or something. Mm-hmm. And I, for some reason in my tipsy head, that stuck with me. There's a difference between <laughs> telling yourself you're having a great time and actually believing you're having a great time. And I wanted to include it in this interview because mm. do you think that if you tell yourself enough times that you're confident, that you start believing it. Yes. And is that the same as having confidence? So your thoughts lead to your feelings and your feelings lead to the actions that you take. So um, a thought becomes a belief when you think and act on it. Mm. So you can say, oh, I'm having a good time. You can tell yourself that, but if you don't act and think on it, then it's not going to turn into a belief. So actually it's not the same thing. There's a difference between a thought and a belief. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's, that's kind of what she meant. Like thinking, Oh, I'm having a good time. I'm believing Mm -hmm. I'm having a good time. Right. Yes. They are two different things. So if you want, you can think you're confident, but then if your actions don't show don't don't match that then you're not really gonna believe your confidence so if you actually want to believe you are a confident person you've got to act and think in accordance with what a confidence person is or who a confidence person is yeah got you okay okay interesting because that was something that I because in fact the same work colleague who we were talking about earlier has said to me like oh I think you're really confident and um I was like, interesting because I don't feel confident, but that's not the first time. Like people tell me that I'm a confident person, you know, my, my parents and my friends are like, Emma, you're confident. And Mm -hmm. I find it interesting because actually I don't feel confident, but I must Mm. elude or fake it. It's sort of like fake it till you make it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I actually have a problem with fake it till you make it (laughs) because I think, it is basically inviting imposter syndrome into your life because what you're saying is I need to fake it to be successful. That means I need to become someone I'm not to be accepted and to be successful. And so you go through your whole life thinking I need to show up as somebody else to make this work. And then you just begin to doubt yourself all the time because you're showing up as somebody who isn't your true self. So that's just a little, a little side note there. Mic drop. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're so you're so right. You're so right. It yeah. actually is. So instead of fake it till you make it, I like to say learning and leveling up mm. because I think that's way more powerful when you're learning. You learn, you know, like learning is your superpower. So even though you 
don't have all the information you need you can always learn and then you apply it and you take action mm-hmm. um now maybe you don't feel confident because of the negative narrative you have going on in your head so we have a mean girl in our head that makes us doubt ourselves and you know makes us question things so maybe your the voice of your mean girl in your head is louder than the voice of your inner cheerleader and the real confident you so what i would say to that is find tangible examples of when you have demonstrated confidence and reflect on those because you might not feel it but it could still be facts right mm-hmm. so yeah. if everyone's yeah. telling you you're a confident person and there's evidence to show you're a confident person then you're you're a confident person if you don't feel like one that's probably because you are making a choice not to fully accept and own that you are a confident person mm-hmm. so you to have that conversation with yourself and look at the evidence and the facts and go i've shown time and time again that i am confident what what is inside of me that is still fighting with this mm-hmm. and why can i not fully accept it nice i have got some Gosh, work to do after this I? yeah <laughs> yeah getting a free coaching <laughs> session <laughs> i love that uh, thank you our final one is um oh so i'm reading this amazing book at the moment called untamed by glennon doyle i don't know if oh, you've read one that. Of my favorites yeah, yes of course yeah. have. um mm-hmm. so one of my favorite quotes from that book Perhaps imagination is not where we go to escape reality, but where we go to remember it. Mm. And I'm obsessed with it because I always thought that, you know, in our heads, we can imagine a world that we want. Mm. I can imagine all day that I'm the sexy millionaire on a yacht or whatever it is Mm -hmm. I want. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when she wrote that, you know, it's not where we go to escape reality reality but where we go to remember it mm-hmm. I just didn't I didn't really believe it because I was like no my my imagination is so not what my reality is I don't know how mm-hmm. you feel about it I would change instead of remembering reality I would change that to creating reality mm-hmm. our imagination is where we go to create our reality mm-hmm. because every single Thing that we see in the physical world was first created in somebody's imagination you know and nothing becomes real un- unless it's first imagined in their mind and that's what creators do you first imagine it's in your mind and you find a way to bring it to life every single thing in this world the buildings the planes the trains the furniture clothes right so our imagination is where we create what we now later see as our reality um is how i would put my own spin on it i literally just (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love that oh my gosh thank you so much this has been such an amazing chat thank you literally oh my god we didn't talk about your book (laughs) tell us about your book that's coming out and and like what it's about where people find it 
Yes, absolutely. So my book, Confident and Killing It, is available on Amazon to pre-order. So please do check that out. And um, yeah, it's basically going to be all kind of like nuggets that you've heard today, like um, bits of wisdom, um, the the real pillars of building confidence in a real practical way. So I like to call it like a game plan to confidence. So it's got the inspiration. It's got the things that will like wake you up and get you excited about your life and get you thinking, but also the practical exercises that allow you to physically like build your confidence and start taking action because confidence is about action. It's not just a belief. So um, yeah, it's really packed with loads of inspiring gems to like get you thinking in a new perspective, you know, thinking in ways you've never thought of before, which is what you said, like in this episode, like, right. I've never thought of that before. I've never thought of that before. Mm. So exactly that it's helping you wake up to new perspectives that you may not have thought of i'm literally like the reframing queen like something happens and it's like okay how can we reframe this and so i'm reframing a lot of things that you know people might have just taken as fact and um reframing it to open up their way of thinking And once I've opened up your way of thinking, I then equip you with the tools that you can use to carry on on your journey. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting. It's going to be out on the 7th of July this year. So um, pre-orders like mean so much to authors and they help really support the success of a book. So, yeah, if you're listening to this, please do check it out on Amazon. Will do. Well, I will definitely be pre-ordering a copy. I think I need it in my life, <laughs> as we've established here. <laughs> but thank you so much, too, and best of luck with everything. Thank as well. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the 20 Not Something podcast. There is plenty more where that came from, so do hit subscribe to be the first to get notified of future episodes. It would also mean the world to me if you could please leave us a cheeky review on iTunes, as that helps more people to find us. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Have a great week, whatever it is you're up to, and you will hear from us very soon.